Welcome to Luxuries for Your Soul with Alexis Kletchian and Lauren Gold. Every episode is a look at life through the lens of luxury, whether it's the dismantling of belief systems, pursuing our passions, or standing in our truth. We approach each conversation with genuine curiosity of what it means to have a well-lived life. Today, we are joined by feng shui expert and author Angie Cho. Angie Cho is a creator of holistic spaces, specifically focused on designing interiors and teaching feng shui and meditation. She's guided thousands of people to harmonize their living spaces through the ancient practice of feng shui. Angie is the co-founder of the Mindful Design Feng Shui School, co-host of the Holistic Spaces podcast, and owner of Angie Cho Architect. She is the author of two books, Holistic Spaces and Mindful Homes. In this conversation, Angie shares the wisdom from her newly released book, Mindful Homes. You came into my awareness when I was revisiting feng shui. This would be maybe the third time in my life that I'm taking a look at it. And I was looking for anything that would capture my attention. It was a little more modern. And I stumbled upon your podcast, your website. Then of course, I bought your book. I just want to tell you the feeling of your book is incredible. Oh, thank you so much. I agree. (laughs) Did you plan that? Oh, you mean like the cover? Yeah. And the pages. Oh, actually the publisher selects all of that. And I've worked with them before because this is my second book. They're about making books that are beautiful and it's a very small independent publisher. And so they want to make the books beautiful. All their books have photographs in it and they're illustrated. So it's kind of a different thing than like a paperback with like, you know, just like from Amazon with um, rough pages and a flimsy cover. So yeah, they spend a lot of energy making something beautiful, which which was great because it's very aligned with what I do. And I think that's also very important. So they've been a really important partner in my business, mm-hmm. my publisher. Well, well done because when I received it and I opened it, I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I agree. To use the book as an oracle and have that wonderful feeling, you could just put it against your chest and say, okay, where do I want to open it? Yes. Thank you. So I just wanted to let you know that at the top of the conversation and for the listener, mindful home, but it feels incredible. Good. I'm so glad. You know, I did an um, interview with someone recently and they really wanted to be very sustainable. And they also get like a Mm -hmm. lot of books. So they just said, you know, I don't need the book. But after we talked, I said, you know, I think you might want the book because it's really like, (laughs) it's not the same as having the ebook or I had sent them initially a PDF before we even had any print books, but it's very tactile, which I think is very connected to feng shui because it's not just about information that you would read on the internet. And even in the book, I encourage everyone to actually not just read the book. And I even say like, it would be a shame if you thought you could understand feng shui by reading it in a book. Right. Yes. Prior to us connecting with your team, I cleaned off my desk. I rearranged things. I focused on my helpful people corner. Mm -hmm. And the next day your team emailed me back. Oh, it's, yeah, it's interesting how those things work, right? Right? Yes, it's working already. (laughs) I know you've told your story probably a thousand times. So 
if you would love to share that, that would be amazing. Sure, I would love to. I actually don't share my story that often because oh. for some reason, I mean, I do a little, I, I have, but for some reason with what I do, people really want to know about them and maybe it's how I position mm. myself and maybe it's my own personal chi or my energy that I put out. But oftentimes people are like, why don't you tell me about me all the time? <laughs> so no one oh. ever wants to know what, what my story is. So, so I really appreciate when people ask. Thank you. Great. Well, we are an open cup for you right now. <laughs> yes, share away. Well, in a nutshell, about me is that I am an architect and feng shui educator, and I'm focused in New York. And um, how I got to this place was, I think, was interesting and a little bit atypical because I was practicing architecture and I was not interested in anything esoteric or anything spiritual until my Saturn return. Mm. And if not all your listeners know what that is, it's in your late 20s when Saturn goes back to where it was when you were born. And it's a time to kind of revisit yourself. It's almost like you're one of your first midlife crises, I guess, even though Mm -hmm. 27 is quite 27, 28, 29 is quite young, right? I realized I needed to incorporate more spirituality and more depth into my life. And so I started studying meditation and yoga. And then that naturally led me to think about how to incorporate more of that into the work that I do, what I spend all of my time doing. And so what the unusual part I think is that when I got laid off, I was scared to not be stable, not to have like Mm -hmm. a stable life. So in 2009, when we were at kind of like the tail end of the last big recession, And I had like no aspirations to be my own business owner, to teach, to be on a podcast, any of this, right? So write two books. Right, right. I never (laughs) wanted to write anything. I was terrified of writing. I would be the person like staring at Mm -hmm. that, like the cursor on the screen, like for hours and rewrite (laughs) the same sentence over and over again. And so when that last recession hit, I got laid off and I didn't really know what to do, but I realized I'd always wanted to take this feng shui certification program. And I never gave myself that chance. Why? Because I had every excuse in the book. I was like, okay, I don't have enough money. I don't want to do this for a living. It's not practical. But I suddenly had some time and I applied as a scholarship student. And I just decided for once in my life to do something that had no practical purpose, except that I wanted to do it. And it really brought me a lot of joy. And, and it was almost like, you know, when your heart is really propelled towards something, you can't stop thinking about it and you can't stop (laughs) wanting it. And so it was one of those things. I finally just said, I just said, okay, I'll do it. And then when I did that, when I finally allowed myself to do something simply for the fact that it gave me joy, Mm -hmm. all these doors opened for me. And then, and here we are now I've written two books and I actually kind of enjoy writing. Like I'm writing my third book now. You are? Oh, Oh, you heard it here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I haven't actually said it uh, publicly really yet. So um, I'm in the works for a third book as well. I studied in a program that's now dissolved. It was through the New York Open Center. It was a three-year feng shui certification program. So we had three teachers, three mentors, three feng shui teachers, and it was three like extended or sorry, four extended weekends, like four to six days 
four times a year, each quarter. And we also had mentorship throughout the program. In person. That sounds really cool. In person. This was, you know, back when things were in person and it was way more expensive than my program. <laughs> Even my business partner who I teach feng shui with now. So when the program that we took, when that program began to dissolve, we then asked our teachers, all of our teachers, we asked four teachers for their blessing to continue teaching, to continue on. And they all gave us their blessings to continue teaching. So then we decided to proceed to start our school and they're still our teachers now. That's incredible. I have heard you say on your podcast that when you were young, you would rearrange the furniture in your bedroom and in your home. So when you got laid off, how much time did you spend rearranging your furniture before you entered the program? Oh, that's a good point or a good question. I don't think I did, but there's a, quite a few things that also happened that month. <laughs> so I got, I got laid yeah. off and it was August 2009. I also cut my knee very deeply and had stitches and went to the emergency room. And then I also had some projects fall into my lap and I got my architect's license all in the same month. So I think I kind of hit the ground running. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember that the last time I really had not much to do was in that like one month period where I remember going to the grocery store and talking to my mom and thinking, I have, I could just walk around the grocery store and not, and not have to do something like, Hmm, what is this? I don't, I just, what a luxury, right? I I realized that was like so luxurious that I didn't have a whole to-do list of things to accomplish. But did that feel good? Or did you find yourself not being able to enjoy that freedom? I don't know if at the time, I think at the time it did feel I wouldn't say good is the word, but it did have a positive feeling. It was just kind of very open and very spacious. And to what Alexis was asking about, like what happened before I decided to take the program, I think that I had an opportunity that cut of getting laid off was really challenging. You know, even if you want to get laid off, I don't think anyone enjoys getting laid off. So I remember being really upset and crying But then that gave me an opportunity to kind of see like, oh, well, maybe I would like to travel to India for a year, or maybe I want to take this certification program that I've always been wanting to take. And you just adapt. I remember thinking, you know, back when we had magazine subscriptions, I'm like, oh, I have to cancel those, those magazine subscriptions. (laughs) I can't afford them anymore. I can't afford it. (laughs) But it was like, okay. And it was interesting because it's like, you just adapt, you adapt to whatever like income you're working with. Yes. It's true. I am not going to be able to pronounce this correctly, but I would like you to discuss what your... Oh, raison d'etre. We'll just say raison d'etre, but I'm not really great at French either. Something that may resonate with a lot of people and maybe a lot of your listeners. It's a French term that translates to your reason for being, which Mm. I think is a really wonderful way to encompass our careers slash what we do in the world slash jobs slash our offerings, because not everyone has a traditional career or a traditional job. So I don't want to exclude people who have other ways of expressing their path in life, whether that be a mother or an artist or like a homemaker 
or a CEO. All of those things are included. But I think there is something that a lot of people, at least that are attracted to my work, resonate with. It's that they really want to connect with that reason for being and that drive or inspiration that inspires them every morning and and reminds them of why they're here and what they would like to do with their time on earth while they're alive, right? It's beautiful. And I love how in this beginning chapter, you write that for you, it's beautiful and bountiful containers to give space and shape to our experiences. Yeah, I love that. It's so lovely. And that really just came from that memory of really enjoying making creating a basket mm-hmm. as a child. My mom enrolled me into all a lot of these art classes. I always loved taking art classes and I would go to the community park. And this was one of the classes. I also remember a class where we learned how to make like pretzels from the <laughs> Betty Crocker cookbook. <laughs> Sounds fun. I know. I love that. I loved cooking, I love it. but I really loved making these baskets. But I think that it's a wonderful metaphor that we can all connect with. We can interweave our different experiences, just like all those strands. And then um, the Tao Te Ching talks about the most important thing, we often get confused. We think the basket is important. Hmm. We think the way the house looks is important. We think how we look on the outside is important, but really it's also very important and maybe a little bit more important to look at like, what is that nebulous space What is that mundane, not material experience that's held by a basket? Because that's what's really important. The basket is functional. The basket can hold something. And a basket that doesn't hold something is simply decorative. And it's very flat in a sense. Hmm. I love that analogy. Yes. And the picture next to this is gorgeous with all the different baskets. I know. I love that picture. (laughs) All the pictures. I really want to redecorate (laughs) after (laughs) Oh, well, with that, but there's, I have a list of things I need to buy. Like I need the teapot on this page. I need. (laughs) Can you talk about the connection between mindfulness and feng shui? Yes, absolutely. I think that this is something that's often forgotten, especially with the modern way that people have expressed feng shui in the world, as well as just like how we are as people. We've really sped things up. The reason why like on Instagram, people love reels or they just want bite-sized like information. I even, I'm guilty of this too, right? Sometimes I just read the headline, right? Which probably Mm -hmm. often has nothing to do with the article. Mm -hmm. It's to draw you in. And so just naturally the way that we've been conducting ourselves in the world has led to things becoming very simplified in maybe a superficial way which is okay too, because not everyone's going to be interested in feng shui. So the average kind of understanding of feng shui or the the broad understanding of feng shui is people know it's something Asian. It has something to do with your space and moving furniture. And then it's also the misconception that is that it's home decorating. Mm -hmm. It's home decorating. I taught this call this past weekend while they were very nice, one person just asked me, oh, you know, should I put a window treatment over here? And I'm like, well, that's really a design question. Mm. Where do I put my water fountain? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So there's a misconception. And there's also this interesting way that it's positioned. So there's this misconception that feng shui is simply a home decorating style. And then there's also a misconception that it can fix everything. And people like kind of 
give up there and just say, where should I put this? Or should I put a window treatment here? Or should I do this? Or is this in the right place? Or people always ask me like, oh, my home is probably really bad feng shui because there's a lot of clutter. So there's this kind of first idea that it's very superficial and it's only on the surface and it's decorative. And two, that it's based on like, it's like a magic pill that's going to fix something. So Mm -hmm. when I talk about mindfulness and feng shui, there's really this invitation instead to see how you can begin to look at not just feng shui, but maybe a lot of things in your life, like maybe your neighbor that you have a problem with, like maybe there's different ways that you can look at a lot of things in your life with a little more care and a little more attention and more curiosity. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think that that's important to define feng shui, this connection between feng shui and mindfulness. But really feng shui is about looking at your spaces, your environment, and seeing that they're connected with your inner environment. So mindfulness is about paying attention to the details and being mindful instead of just speeding through things and looking at your Like mindfulness includes looking at your environment or looking at your thoughts if you're in meditation or being mindful of your breath, right? If you're doing a a certain type of meditation practice and then observing that and attending to that without any judgment. So that there's also that piece where you can look at how you can begin to pay attention to the details of your home, for instance, and then see how that affects you and how you affect it and also to take that other step of not having that judgment involved like saying that's good or bad or that's right or wrong right and are you also of the belief that you can do all of the things the design the movement the intention and being mindful but if you haven't created the time and space in your life that those changes won't occur it's a yes and no it's a yes and situation because sometimes Mm -hmm. If in a moment you create a shift, that can be something huge. So one small Mm -hmm. shift can make a huge change, just like they talk about the butterfly effect, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, accumulating many small efforts over time does create a larger impact. For instance, a drop of water on a stone may create no impact, but over years, over time, that does create a large reshaping of the stone. Do you have a story of a small impact that you can share with us, either from your story, a client you've worked with, a student? A small impact over time that... Or even like an aha, Mm -hmm. you know? I do have some aha moments. Okay. Okay. Well, like for instance... Actually here, well, here's a small impact thing. So I was working with someone once I was working with them over time. And first I began by, you know, explaining something about doors. So doors represent Mm -hmm. the voice of the people in the home, the adults in the home. And that's helpful to look at like what's going on with the door. And also in feng shui, we look at the front door as being the mouth of chi where a majority of the chi, the energy comes into your space. So you want to make sure that your front door is used and it's tidy and it's functional. And you can also explore like how that affects your feng shui and look at it based on the other feng shui tools that are available. So that's kind of like maybe the first step. And then over time, I was explaining to this person that all the different meanings of doors. And one of them was that if you remove a door that sometimes that means you're removing a voice. So this person first had this 
like these initial understanding of the door and was working with the doors of their home. And then they started to learn a little bit more. And then they realized while it, when I was telling them about like removing the doors, they had an aha moment that growing up, they realized for some reason, their parents took every door off her room. Like her, all her childhood bedrooms had the door removed. And then, hmm. you know, and now, now I'm not sure where she's at, but you know, that's probably still like, something that's unfolding for her as to what that means in her life and then how Mm -hmm. she may approach doors for her children and so forth and how her life has been affected. Maybe like having the removal of that privacy, that removal of her voice and, and how she can start to strengthen her voice as she moves forward in life. I just got chills. Um. (laughs) <laughs> yeah I was like when she told me that I start, I, I like literally started crying we both like started crying because it was so emotional yeah you must have a lot of beautiful moments like that with your clients it depends actually because um it's more <laughs> it's more with students well and everyone's okay. different some people are like poker yeah. face and you don't see anything sometimes mm-hmm. you don't see these Lauren. things happen over time right I have a poker face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, it's just and like, oh. <laughs> but with my students, I see more because I'm actually working with them for yeah. through a six-month certification program. And then also we have a continuing education option that like I can see over time. And then I have mm-hmm. a great number of students, so I can't talk to them all individually all the time. So it depends. But I can see that small shifts begin to make can make big changes. Or even my story about deciding to take the certification program, that small shift really changed the whole trajectory of my life. Yeah. And I've seen students and clients simply change the direction, like the position of their desk. And that can make a huge shift in your life. So small things can make a big shift at the same time, accumulating a lot of little shifts can create a big impact. So it's a yes and situation. Both can be true. I love that there's no hard yes or no, or that school of thought is wrong, that you really have an open mind when it comes to that. I appreciate that. Yes and no too, though. <laughs> yes and. Because also sometimes yes like and. with that door example, one of my students, right. when they first started studying, they're like, oh, I just told my parents to take the door off. And I said, who said you could take the door off? And, um, and I said, you know, before I always tell them, you know, you need to practice the scales, learn the song, and then you improvise. So there's definitely like a big emphasis for me on not pretending to know more than, you know, so that there's kind of a guideline on that. There's definitely guidelines and bumpers in general, and I'm very soft and very accommodating in terms of how I teach, but at the same time, I, I do put my foot down when it's like someone says, like, I know this, but they really don't. So that's where it is important to cultivate things. And, and actually, you, one of the questions you had that you're going to ask later is a quote from my teacher, Catherine Metz, that I just reheard recently, and it talks about that. Can't wait. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell the listeners how to use your book? So I actually have a whole part in the beginning, the first chapter of my book, going over how to use a book. And you could definitely go chronologically by just starting mm-hmm. at the beginning because it does unfold mm-hmm. in a particular way. It starts with some of the general 
foundations and then it goes larger, larger, yet more specific. And then it goes smaller again. So I offer the metaphor of like a seed breaking in half and then the sprout coming forth and then that sprout blooming into a flower and then that flower extending out to the community. So there is a method to the organization of it. And also it's a pretty easy book. There's not, I think there's only like 25,000 words. It's not very long. And I didn't do a word count. (laughs) Yeah, I I had to, I had to do a word count. (laughs) So it's not very long. It's actually not a very long book. Like many people have told me they can read the whole thing in an evening. It's not a lot of words, but there's a lot of beautiful images. So that's one way, or like you talked about Alexis at the beginning of our call that you could use it as an Oracle that you could, Mm -hmm you could just simply hold it and open it and do that with some ritual to see what the book would like to tell you. Or you could also, there's an invitation to look at the book besides like chronological or as an oracle, but look at the book as something beyond just words on a page, which I always want to challenge people because it's so easy in our modern day to just think that we can collect more information, right? Yes. That like how many Zoom calls, how many PDFs can I just archive in my computer and put on the cloud and never look at again? It's like Mm -hmm. digital clutter, right? And Mm -hmm. we do that Mm -hmm. and it's completely overwhelming. I'm even going through some old recordings from one of my teachers where I got the quote from for a purpose, but it's like, it just could be overwhelming if you just keep looking backwards at the recordings or to get the accumulation of words or data confused for your experience. So I challenge people to even like, look at the book as like, look at the colors. Mm -hmm. And actually both of you touched on this. Like, how does it feel in your hand? Mm -hmm. How does it feel today? How does it feel tomorrow? How does the cover feel? How do the pages feel? How do the images lay out on the page? And to go beyond just reading the information, but how do you experience the book and how do you experience what's offered in the book, which is one of the reasons why in the book, I give a URL to the, some of the meditations. I created an audio version so that you can also experience things through hearing and not just through reading. So I, last night, up and opening, you know, what you had just said, seeing mm. what page would present itself to me. And three times in a row, I got to the letting go practice page. I think it's trying to tell me something. That's so funny. So, I said, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, and I would put it down, walk away, same page. So it's trying to Loud and clear. (laughs) Well, did you start to unpack what that could be? Been start thinking about it, trying. (laughs) But yeah, Yeah, I'm going to try. I'm going to set some time this weekend and start going around the house and doing what it says here to pick up some objects and hold them in my hand and really put some thought behind them. Well, this is the invitation of that practice because typically, well, here's another feng shui misconception. People think that feng shui is the same as decluttering. And when feng shui was developed, there was no such thing as clutter, right? This is really a modern problem, right? That we have we have now in our modern society and like maybe the last 20 years, because I think when we were children, this wasn't an issue, right? We didn't have such a consumer-based society where we accumulate so many things. And we've been conditioned now to just think that we can just buy, 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 and not worry where things go. So clutter is really a modern day issue. However, that doesn't mean that feng shui doesn't have the capacity or the depth or the richness to encompass the um, 
look, unpacking that, but it's not the same as like professional organizing. Like I don't know anything about professional organizing or decluttering a space. And in fact, I have like a lot of Virgo. So I don't even want to, I'm like, I don't want to touch your dust and stuff. Right. (laughs) So so I'm not going to, I'm not going to touch, I'm not helping you move anything around. So I don't want to move your sofa and have like the dust come up and I don't want to breathe it in, you know? So, so I'm very Virgo like that. What I talk about in the book with the letting go practice was something that I learned from the Buddhist tradition that there's a way to start to work with letting go in a whole different way than just decluttering your house and taking it so literally, but actually picking it up any kind of object, like I'm holding like this bottle, right? And, or, but the listeners can't see, but imagine I'm you hold something in one hand and then just allow yourself to feel that. And then you just move it to the other hand and just notice like, how does it feel to go from one hand to the other hand and notice those sensations? Maybe you feel nothing. Maybe you feel a lot. Maybe you feel like one side wants to hold on longer. So I'm challenging people to think beyond like, oh, letting go is just decluttering my house. If it's that easy, we would all just declutter our houses, right? There's something deeper. And how do we even see that within ourselves? We have a problem or we have attachment to not wanting to hold on to or let go of something, even like a baby. Well, if you put your finger, they'll grasp your hand. We have this natural tendency to grasp. So how instead can we feel safe enough, protected enough to let go? It's beautiful. That is the perfect segue to discussing the unseen flow of the chi. Can you take us there? Sure. So chi is life force energy, and it's one of the foundational concepts in feng shui. It's what we look at like with acupuncture. Acupuncture looks at the chi of the body to see if there's stagnant areas where the chi is stuck. And so feng shui Mm. looks at the chi of the home. Where is the energy stuck? Is it accumulating in a certain area? Is it moving too fast? Is it collecting? Like sometimes chi can collect in like the dark corners of your home or in those rooms or closets that you never open. And also the objects in our space also have chi. It's not just the space around, but it's also within things. We have chi within us, like like I pointed to the acupuncture looks at our personal chi, but we also want to acknowledge the chi and the objects around us, like chi and things that we receive, like heirlooms or gifts from others or secondhand items, or the chi that's vibrating in the walls of the home that we live in. Like even if you have a brand new home that you built, the land that you're on resonates and vibrates with the chi of the indigenous peoples and all the people that live before it. And Mm. the intensity of that chi depends on like how long were they there? Like, so if I had like a book for one day and I gave it to Lauren And now Lauren has it. It has a little bit of my chi, but not very much, right? Unless I intentionally put a lot of my chi into it and then gave it to her, right? So um, (laughs) just like if if Alexis, you you made like me and Lauren each a cup of tea and you put a lot of love in it, it would hold your chi as well. Right. Can chi also, another word for chi outside of feng shui, could it also be like the auric field of something or your aura? I think so because your yeah, it's your energy field. Yes, I think so. I haven't okay. thought about the aura part, but yes, that would work. It's also known like in yoga, like your prana, like your breath, mm-hmm. the life 
And chi is spelled Q-I. Sometimes it's spelled C-H-I. It's a foundational theory of like feng shui and, and everything is based on the flow of chi. So even like other practices like martial arts, look at the flow of chi, like Tai Chi. It's, you know, there's chi in the name. Oh, yeah. Spelled differently. Yeah. Well, it's C-H-I, but it's the same word. Or Qigong, it's moving chi around your body. So Qigong looks at like how to move the chi in your body connected with bringing in the chi of the earth. The earth has chi. So every, all living things have chi. I bet you get a lot of questions about the commanding position. This is big. I was thinking that we could talk about, I do want to talk about the difference between the bagua and the gua. But what I had here for our notes for Lauren and I was talking about the bagua and I know you call it a mandala and aligning that with your workspace, maybe like a quick overview of some elements, how people can understand they can place it on their desk, on their bed, and then moving through meeting your heart in the bedroom, nourishing yourself in the kitchen, moving through that. So people could get a sense of their place now that you've given them some foundational information. Yeah. So the Bagua, like, so one of the tools that we can use in feng shui is called the Bagua. And mm-hmm. um, Bagua means eight areas. Ba is eight and Gua means like areas or directions. And so all of the schools of feng shui use the Bagua map. And it's called the Bagua map, but it's not necessarily a map. And I call it mandala because I feel that's actually a little bit more descriptive. And now people kind of understand what that, that means, what a mandala is. I've created a lot of mandalas over the years, like art-wise. So it starts with the center, just like if you think of the center of a flower. And then it radiates out from that center. So like a daisy, for instance, or a lotus flower, right? So there's a center. And, you know, the lotus is a great example. So we imagine an eight-petal lotus flower and there's a center. So that's like a bagua. A bagua has a center and then there's eight areas it could be looked at like a pie. It could be like a round shape. You divide a pie into, or pizza into um, eight <laughs> slices, eight equal slices. They overlay with different life areas, different colors, different elements, different directions. And it can also be depicted in a grid, like a three by three grid, like a tic-tac-toe. So that's what I've done in my book. That's typically how mm-hmm. it's expressed. And it's one of the tools that you can use in feng shui to do a reading on a home and to understand how the feng shui is impacting the person in the home. So what I found from teaching a lot is that people get very confused for good reason on how to use a bagua map on their home. Oh, and to answer your question, the difference between ba and bagua is bagua is like there's eight guas in the bagua. So you have those eight petals right on the lotus Mm -hmm. in the center is not a gua, but it's the center, which is related to it's, we call it the Tai Chi, which is the overall health and well-being. but there's nine squares in a three by three grid, but the center could be a square, but it's not, it's really not a gua, but it's kind of getting in the weeds because it's just a label that we're putting. We're just calling this area a gua. I got it. Okay. Cause I was confused. Yeah. I was like eight and then nine. Is there a number significance to that? And right. Just like a lotus. Yeah. Like the lotus flower has eight petals, but it's, 
and it has the center, yeah. right? But that doesn't mean the center is not an area as well, but it's not called right. a petal. So it's just our labels that we're naming things, right? Okay. Got that. All right. Yeah. So a lot of people have irregular shaped homes, right? So <laughs> almost a lot of people have an irregular, non-rectangular shaped home. So then what people get very confused and it's really kind of something that you have to work with a practitioner on to get correct. Even like now, when I work with my students and my business partner and I, if we have a complicated floor plan, we check in with each other and say, is this how you would lay it? And then I have to ask more questions and look more carefully before I can decide. And there's a lot of different factors. You have to make sure that you've measured your home correctly, that the floor plan is correct, because some things could be really like on the borderline in terms of how you lay the Mm. bagua. So because I found that it's very difficult and challenging and also What it does is it gets people stuck in the weeds. Mm -hmm. It gets people stuck on the details and then the feng shui is no longer helping them because they're just like, am I doing this right or wrong? It suddenly becomes this whole judgment thing where did I do this right? Did they do this wrong? And then the energy just stops. The chi stops because they get confused. And then they might actually lay the bagua incorrectly. So because of that, uh, when I work with people in a general way, like if I'm not working with someone one-on-one, then I always recommend that you lay the bagua on your bedroom instead of your whole home. Because for the most part, a bedroom is easier to wrap your head around. And and maybe 50% of the time, people have a rectangular bedroom (laughs) or something that they could figure out. And that's why I even went further in this book. And I said, you can also lay the bagua on your bed because I think 99.9% of people have a rectangular bed. So I wanted to take out the stoppers, the things that are stopping people from benefiting from this practice and from someone saying, oh, this is too complicated. I don't know. And then just giving up on it. So I wanted to really challenge that. And sometimes people start to think, well, is that good enough? But it is because your bedroom is so important to you. It's the most private space in your home. If I went to go visit Lauren, Lauren wouldn't say, hi, come in, come straight to my bedroom, right? That's very unusual. <laughs> would, would you learn? <laughs> it depends on the day, I guess. But it would, no. <laughs> so it's a very private space. And generally, the only mm. people that would go in there is like you and your partner. Right. right. Maybe your kids, maybe your cleaning lady. That's about it. Mm-hmm. Right. You wouldn't really bring a stranger into that most private area. So we already mm-hmm. understand. I don't have to explain it. Like it's a really important space. So of course, if right. you make your feng shui adjustments there, it's going to affect you on a very deep level because it's so close to you. Cause you could even visualize you and then a concentric circle around you. And then another one that goes out further that encompasses like first you, and then you're laying in your bed. And then you have that first concentric circles, your bed. And then the next one out could be like your bedroom. And then the one out beyond that is your whole house. And the one beyond that is like your property. And the one beyond that is your block that you live on. And the one beyond that could be your neighborhood. And the one beyond that could be your city and so forth. And you could see how the chi that is closest to you, yes, like the aura, Alexis, you're talking about aura is like the closer it is to you, the more it affects you. So I think that it's actually super powerful for people to work on their beds and their bedrooms Mm -hmm. using the bagua. Okay. And as far as distance, you also mentioned when you workspace that if your desk is so close to the wall or so close to the window, 
how the chi affects you there. Do you want to touch on that? Sure. It was so interesting when I was talking to my commissioning editor about the book, she was wondering why I would include a workspace in my book. And I think it's because I'm very, I know, I know you made a face. Uh, really? Cause I, yeah. Cause I guess, cause I have a very like select group of people that I talk to. <laughs> I guess the people I talk to are generally women that are like doing things. Right. Yeah. So this is important. Like their raison d'etre is very important. I also gave her the excuse that like, well, a lot of people are working from home now. So that's important too. So I think whether I think it's important an excuse? for everyone. <laughs> you had to give an excuse. It's your book. Well, not an excuse, <laughs> but like my one of my ways of explaining why I thought it was very important to include the workspace is a lot of people are working from home now. Cause it was a it's mindful homes. It's about your home space. And maybe like 10 years or maybe five years ago, not a lot of people worked from home. So now mm. almost everyone has some kind of ad hoc workspace in their home, right? Because we all, almost everyone has a computer now. Every, almost everyone does work online and almost everyone does some kind of work from home in some respect, whether it's paying your bills or actually working at your job from home. So it's important to take a look at like how your workspace is in, in relationship to your home. Because first of all, a lot of us have homes in which we may not have expected to have a workspace. And then oftentimes we're like carving out a workspace. So I tried to give accommodations for people who had like a whole separate room for a desk in addition to someone who's just working like on a dining room table during work hours or to pay the bills or so forth. But yeah, it's important to see what you're looking at when you're at your desk. If you're set up so you're staring at the wall and say you're an entrepreneur that would like to have expand their business or expand your opportunities you want to move forward having the ability to only see just a few feet in front of you impacts your ability to move forward in your career and i actually saw this play out physically during the pandemic so i worked online a lot before that cuz i taught online before that but then we spent tremendously more hours in front of our computer than we had ever once we were all in lockdown. I noticed my eyesight really started to deteriorate from only looking at my computer, which is about 18 inches from my face. And then to have like a wall just a few feet away. So what it does is it, one, it affects your vision. It physically affects you because your eyes are not being exercised. They're only focusing so just so far away from me, that's why like devices are so challenging too, because we're like focusing just a few inches from our face all the time and going outside and being able to focus like on a mountain far away and then something up close, that's exercising our eyes. And that's as humans, we've evolved to need that to have healthy eyesight, right? So it affects us physically, but also metaphorically and energetically. It's like we're looking at a brick wall all the time. So my suggestion is if you can, you should set up your desk so you can see the door and you can see people coming into your room. But if you can't and you have to put your desk up against a wall, you can set up a mirror so it expands your view because a mirror creates a reflection and expands the view. Like I have my desk up against the wall, but I have a mirror, like a full length mirror on it horizontally and back of my desk. So basically, I can see everything behind me. I could see the window, I could see the rest of the room, I could see everything beyond. So it visually and energetically, you have received more space in front of you to move forward in your career. I didn't realize that I had a mirror that reflected my 
wealth and prosperity corner of my desk. But also just beyond that, I have a like a half wall that has a ton of clutter. <laughs> so I cleared off that side of the desk and put some things on there that I was promoting and, and a new plant that grows upward and it's reflecting it. And I didn't realize that I was reflecting everything until I put the plant there because I saw it oh. in the mirror. And then I was like, oh. So you were reflecting the clutter over the wealth area of your desk? Yes. Oh. Or just beyond it. Okay. So even if my desk was clean, mm -hmm. there was clutter beyond my desk that was being reflected. And that is the corner that you could see in the mirror. But I didn't realize until I purchased a new plant per your suggestion in a podcast episode that if you want to change the chi, you have to bring in something new mm -hmm. and intentional for that space and to have a plant that's growing upward. So I am a student already. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I'm listening. <laughs> I just actually um, attended this morning, attended to my plant that's in the wealth area of my desk. It's a money plant. It's like a peperomia, but it's like, that's it's, what I bought. <laughs> yeah. So, but then, but it's been doing so well, but then it was starting to kind of do this thing, like where they're all kind of uh -oh. too heavy and they're kind of falling. So to your uh -huh. point about upward growth. So I actually put in some bamboos, like little sticks and uh, propped it up to give it some support. Cause I realized it was doing well. However, it was getting droopy. So it needed some extra support. So that could represent like okay. me finding ways to support the wealth streams that I'm creating and having them not so heavy with having them not well, so heavy that they're drooping, but that they're, they have the support they need to grow more abundantly. Mm. There's so many little tips. Yeah. Yes. Well, actually, you know, another thing though, some people think that's really good just to put plants everywhere though, but there's also mm -hmm. something to watch out with this. And I was talking to a friend about this on her podcast and it came up a couple other times, like with some students is that you think, oh, okay, so I'm just going to put like lots of plants in this area, but there can also be like way too much. Right. So it sounds like you just got one plant that's manageable, right? Like with this friend, she was telling me how she had a cease and desist for something. And she was putting out this new offering and someone had essentially this cease and desist. And also similarly with the student, she said that she had just launched this website and she had her former employer was uh, sued her actually. So, um, oh. Oh. for using like photos that she had every right to use, but he was upset, but both of them had put a lot of plants in their fame, the fame area. And also this oh. other person, oh. she also had little candles all over her fame area. So people think like, oh, I'm just going to add more and more and extra and extra. But sometimes like for instance, with the wood and the plants, if you put too many plants in your fame area, that's going to perhaps create a lot of inflammation, create a fire that is out of control, like too much visibility, too much fire. And are you equipped to hold up to the amount of visibility you're going to receive? Like visibility is also someone noticing you're doing something and they sue you for it, right? Right. Yeah. So you have to also notice, like, are you able to handle what you're doing? Are you equipped? Do you really want that? Because sometimes people say like, oh, I want to be well known. I want to be famous for this. But you never know if you really do want that. Like that's happened to me so many times where I'm pretty good at manifesting things for work. 
And I used to think like, oh, I would love to be bi-coastal. And then I, my sister bought a house and they hired me to do their house in LA. And then I was traveling there every other week. And I was like, I don't want to be bi-coastal anymore. Can I just give that back, please? Because <laughs> I was like, I, had, I, like, I do not want to fly out there again. So like, it's interesting, like how you can, you can ask for something and you have to always like recalibrate and pivot. So it could be to an extreme where if you go to an extreme with something like people think like, I'm just going to put a lot of plants there. Then one, on one level, you can get totally overwhelmed maintaining those plants. Like I've seen people talk about how they have to take their whole weekend to take care of their plants, right? So you can take it to an extreme or you can just go step by step and see like, is this manageable for me? Or just keep your ears open and is this working to support me or is it actually creating more challenges for me? I love that. That's really such a fluid message in your book, which is my favorite part, which makes this as since I'm new to this, not intimidating is you're constantly like, but do what works best for you work with what you have. I think that's really, that's nice. Makes it less intimidating. Thank you. Because I, I know from having worked with people a lot, I can be pretty bossy and tell people you should do this, but I don't know about you, but I hate it when people tell me to do something. And I hate unsolicited yeah. <laughs> feedback, right? Oh, oh yeah. Oh my so, gosh. Yes. But I'm also bossy. So I really yeah, because you, right you're like, well, I know I've tried it all out. I know what you should do. Right. <laughs> but, um, but I've learned as I've gotten older, oh, wait, people don't like that. And I don't like that either. I don't like it when people mm. tell me what to do. So instead, mm -hmm. how do you make mm -hmm. this inviting for, these are all things that I have tried out and I do think that they're helpful and useful. But for me to say that you, this is something you need to do in a particular way, and this is a hard and fast rule that just turns people off. Instead, giving people the invitation, giving some information around it, and then inviting them to create their own experience about it is more encouraging, but it's also, I think, more effective because I can't teach someone what they experience. Their experience is right. the most powerful teacher. Yes, that's a, also a very good quote. Yeah, like you opening the but you opening the book three times to the same place. Like I didn't curate that experience for you. I didn't tell you to to do that. You did that. So then it's something that you then wrap your own mind around and you decide how you're going to work with that or not work with that. And it's going to only be helpful if you decide to do that on your own. Right. I know we touched on the bedroom earlier, but can we go back to the bedroom? Because I found this chapter to be incredibly interesting and makes complete sense. Like what you say about clearing the chi underneath the bed. Mm. So we have, you know, storage bins underneath of our bed. And I thought to myself, well, I know we have clothes, but we have this big one of my husband's that's just a collection of things. Like I wonder if there's emotional stuff and maybe that's impacting the sleep. And then I also want to ask you so it says here, just like you, your bed doesn't have to be perfectly made all the time. Let it be lived in. Well, I am a, I have to make my bed every day. It has to be made. It has to be made before I get in it. That's just how I've always been. And I saw this. I thought maybe I should, maybe I should give this a try and see if that. Let it go. Anything. Well, <laughs> I will say though, part of that, Lauren, is that also it's totally acceptable and actually probably really nice to have it. It's always nice to get into a bed that's made well. 
right? Feels it good. feels good. I, it feels like fresh sheets. Right. I always ask, like, for instance, I ask my husband to, my husband usually makes a bed. And then if it's not made, I ask him to make the bed before I get into it. <laughs> so, yes, I know. I even make the bed at hotels. Like I, in oh, the morning, yeah. I, if I, yeah, I just, yeah. I love that feeling. So I think included in that, I'll add that if you do love to make your bed, that's included too. Right. I actually think there is something very wonderful about having the dedication to having your bed made all the time. But if you had to run out and you were had some important thing, of course you would just, there's going to be a problem if you're like, no, I can't leave because I have to make my bed first. Right. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. So true. <laughs> but what was the other thing? thing that you touched upon when you were asking the clutter underneath or the bins right. if you will yeah the emotional effects of yeah. the material items under you know your bed. what's in the bin under of your husband's stuff under your bed no i'm gonna ask him but i was also thinking we have bins of clothes mm-hmm. and i know for me one of the bins of clothes are like t-shirts that I don't want to get rid of, you know, that I've had since high school or, you know, just things like that, that I'm never going to wear that I don't want to part with. I don't know. It just made me kind of blew my mind. I thought this weekend we're going through these bins because, you know, it really probably impacting the energy in the room and the sleep. Yeah, absolutely. Because how many hours are you sleeping on top of it? Yeah. And we really kind of forget that, oh, like, I'm not suggesting anyone throw away all the things that they have under the bed. I'm just saying maybe you need to put them somewhere else because a lot of people, especially with the naysayers, I I don't get a lot of naysayers. I'm often preaching to the choir, but with the naysayers, I'm like, okay, you have this like for your husband. Okay. Maybe he's your husband's a naysayer. You could say, okay, you have this bin of stuff. Can we get rid of it? No. Why not? Because it's important. So he's already acknowledging that bin of stuff has very important chi. It's very strong. It has a strong hold on him. What if he's lying? What if it's an excuse? Like, it's important. I don't want to go through it. And then he holds on to that energy. They're in bed and he's like, she wants me to go through this stuff and I don't want to go through this stuff. And then she's laying there. He needs to go through this stuff. It is affecting my chi. Like, we could have that dynamic. Exactly. Yeah. But you can also tell him we don't have to go through it because we just put it somewhere else. And then you say, I'm going to put it on top of your desk. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Here it is. Everywhere you go, I'm going to put it right in front of you. Mm. No, but but I don't think that's great. But I think it's important to not like take that bin of things that belongs to your husband and say, you have to go through this. Because how would you feel if he did the same thing to you? If he said, well, what about that bin of your stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I get a lot of that. <laughs> it's more like, oh, can we put, do you mind if I put this somewhere else? And then you can have curiosity about like, what is this stuff in there? And then you could actually maybe have like a really wonderful like conversation where he's like, oh, it actually has like all these family heirlooms. And like, here's pictures of me when I was a baby. Who knows what's in there, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, his mother doesn't like me. So there could be pictures of his mom and that could be why <laughs> I haven't slept well in the past year. That she is just radiating up through the mattress. No, the mother-in-law, right? <laughs> yes. Hopefully none of our mother-in-laws are listening. Oh, well. You just <laughs> yeah. opened a door there, Angie. <laughs> I, I also love what you said about a headboard. So we don't have a headboard for oh, no reason that we've what? just never had one. Get one. Yeah. And now like a really. Yeah. Because a headboard can represent the stability. It's like Mm -hmm. the backbone and supporting you and your partner. 
and it connects the two of you. So it's a wonderful thing to add to your relationship. Yeah. I just, I think the bedroom chapter is just for anyone listening is a really, really good one to start. I feel like all of the things are, you know, it's just very easy to understand, really opens your eyes to your room. And like you said, you know, you spend a lot of time there, you sleep, it's your private space. It's important that it have all the good energy and set up correctly. Yeah. Yeah. I think I had someone ask me for like a magazine interview or some kind of interview. We were talking about under the bed and she's like, she's like, my partner has all his like stuff from his ex under the bed. And she's like, that's going to go now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Lauren, you just solved your problem, honey. We need a new bed. We don't have a headboard. You move the bed, all the stuff under the bed goes with it. Yeah. Yeah. Get some new sheets, new linens, new pajamas. I love that you included that too, because I love pajamas. Oh, I know. <laughs> I love sheets. Sheets. Yeah. I love investing in new organic sheets and pajamas because again, like we forget, like where I mean, where where do you go when you're sick? You go to bed. Like your bed yeah. is mm-hmm. so supportive for you. And if I think about my favorite part of my home, it's like I just want to go to bed. Or if I'm really tired, like yesterday I was on a construction site from 10 to 4 30 and it was so dusty and I just came home I ate dinner at like five and then I like got straight into bed because that's where you go to be supported to just relax to rejuvenate to recuperate and so I don't know why we overlook like what's underneath our bed how comfortable our bed is, how our bed supports us. And, and also why don't we buy like the highest quality we can afford in terms of like, like our sheets and your podcast is called luxuries for your soul. I think like investing in like really high quality, organic, non-toxic pajamas. I just got some silk ones and like the best bed linens, those things like you use them hopefully eight hours a day for your whole life. It's so important. Right. Yeah. Quality. Is there a particular color of sheet, a bed sheet that you always buy? I know Alexis is very particular about her sheet color. So I was curious. White. Yeah. See. Um, I usually have white as well, but I'm, but that's me. So there's no um, necessarily prescription for the best color, but there's a part of my book where I talk, actually this book, I don't go color by color. My first book, I go color by color, but you can also look at the Bagua map and see not where your bed is located or anything, but you could see if any of the guas, because they all have different colors associated with them, or the elements all have colors associated with them. And that could help guide you if you want to cultivate something specific in your life. But not everything needs to be a feng shui adjustment. So you could simply just have your bed linens in the color that you'd like to have them. But at the same time, like if someone has like an all white bedroom and they and everything's all white, then that has kind of this feeling of you can't really get anything dirty type of feeling. But if you just have like white sheets, but then you have other things and there's a balance, I think that's okay. But if I had to give like a general, my business partner tends to say like yellow could be a good color to go for because yellow is the color Mm. of the health area. Oh, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, Yellow makes people angry. We did a whole episode on color and yellow well, it depends on the tone of yellow, right? Yeah, because there's that whole book called The Yellow Wallpaper. But now I will. <laughs> I had to read it in college, you know, in a women's studies class, mm. The Yellow Wallpaper. It's a very short story. Okay. The premise is that it was um, written, I think it was written probably like 80 years ago or so, where 
if a woman was very particular or very independent, she was considered to be psychologically disabled or mentally unstable, right? So um, (laughs) they would put you on drugs and give you electroshock therapy and all that. So it's kind of talking about this woman who gets put into a room with yellow wallpaper and she goes, I did read that. Yeah. I did read that in college, in college. Yes. You read it in college women's studies classes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Studies. Yes. So it's wow. like, I totally forgot about that. It's like the that. old man mm-hmm. in the sea for women's studies classes, I think. She goes crazy and the yellow made her go crazy. So yeah, I think like bright yellow is not like, I wouldn't, I'm not talking about bright yellow, but every color has different tones, right? Right. And different iterations. So it depends, but yellow is the color of the health area. So that doesn't have to be like a um, sunny yellow. It could be like a cream or an off-white or a neutral. Like there's also psychological considerations for colors too, but I think right. also everyone has their own personal associations with color as well and their own cultural associations with color. Okay, so also Lauren, you said you have trouble sleeping and besides your mother-in-law, <laughs> you could also have like neutrals like browns or beige, because those are more relaxing. Anything like red is very stimulating. So I have two red throw pillows in my room or in the bedroom. Yeah, I really am going to re relook at the bedroom. Yeah, I and mean, you can even just do a test, right? And just put throw pillows in another room and see if you sleep better. But two red throw pillows isn't too much, right? It's like, it's just wearing the red lipstick. It's not red lipstick, red dress, red earrings, right. red bow. <laughs> That's when you're like, (laughs) when it's very stimulating. Yes. It's my pop of color. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Can we talk about opening our doors to compassion and interconnected spaces within the community? Sure. So that's how I ended my book Mm -hmm. with that chapter, because I think that one of the underlying important messages from feng shui is when you first think about feng shui, you think, oh, it's about like, for instance, my book is about mindful homes. So then I start to work on my home to support me. But the true kind of meaning underneath that, I think, is that you start to see that you're connected to your home, that you're connected to the space that you're in. And then when you start to make shifts in your home, you start to kind of understand, oh, wait, it's not just about me. It's about my home too, but it's then you can start to see, oh, it's not just about me. It's also about the people around me and it's about the world around me. And you start to expand that concentric circle outside of just worrying about yourself and start to look at how is my door, my front door, instead of just my bedroom, which is the most personal, like that tightest concentric circle. How can I be more expansive and look at like how my door connects to the outside world or how I connect to the outside world? I think we all realized that through the last few years too, that like, while for some of us, some people hated it right away to be isolated, but some people really enjoyed being isolated. I enjoyed being isolated, but at some point- I loved it. Yeah. (laughs) But at some point you're like, oh wait, like I do need people. So um, you do realize the benefit of community. And as humans, we need to connect with people. And so- Mm -hmm. The invitation in the last chapter is not just to see as this as a way to further cocoon yourself, but how do you mm-hmm. expand out? How do you connect to others and see that that compassion, that, that interconnectedness doesn't just stop at you and your home. It actually goes out to your neighbors. It goes out to all sentient beings. It goes out to the environment. It goes to our planet as a whole. And how do we see that where the pain and suffering that we have in our lives really comes from separating ourselves and thinking like 
it's us and them, me and my neighbor, me and my mother-in-law or Mm -hmm. whatnot, how Mm -hmm. instead we can understand that we're interconnected and we're interdependent and we all need each other, not just our spaces and our homes, but like we need this planet. We need the people around us. We need to all communicate with each other. I love that. And I love the one flower in a vase. Mm -hmm. I love that offering. Thank you. Such a beautiful. You know, that came from like, I go to a lot of meditation retreats and I used to really be involved with flowers at my meditation center, doing the flower arrangements there. And so I did this one meditation retreat where I was in charge of all the flowers. And then I had people under me that were making the flowers. And then I was like, so stressed out about it that I was like, okay, we have five minutes left to make a flower. (laughs) You got to chop, chop, time to do your flower arrangement. And one of the people was like, they looked at me and they're like, this doesn't feel very meditative. And and I realized it's just not on brand. (laughs) So I was like, oh, I was like, you're right. And then I talked to my flower teacher and she said, you know, in that case, she's like, if you only have five minutes, have them do one flower in a vase because one fl- five minutes for black flower in a vase is actually going to feel like a long time. And so it allows people to slow down. And again, like you can get really overwhelmed trying to arrange many flowers, but just one flower and do that with intention. And, and I also study Japanese flower arranging and it's not about having as many flowers you can in a, in a bouquet. It could even just have one flower in the arrangement. And that can be very poignant and meaningful and a very expansive experience to work with just that one flower. I love that. Yeah, that's beautiful. There's just so many great moments in this book. I think it's beautifully written. I love to just flip through it. One of my most important things for my soul is to have a dedicated space just for me. And through COVID, that's what I lost. Oh, I thought you said you were isolated. Wait, well, oh, because your partner was with you or something? Oh, and what happened? <laughs> no, what I'm happened? sorry. What do you mean? I had my own gallery. Okay. And I cultivated a space that was beautiful. And I worked very hard on all of the pieces with intention. And I loved it. I didn't care if anyone ever even walked through the door. It was my space. And when I decided to close it, I bawled. And I remember my husband looked at me and he's like, why are you crying? You decided to close it. And I said to him, what am I going to do with my things, my favorite things? I was so upset about the desk, the antique jewelry case, these things that I'd curated Mm -hmm. and loved and took care of that attracted people to this space to have those soul-to-soul connections that now sit in a pod storage unit Mm. next to a pile of manure, which (laughs) is terrible feng shui, right? But... Well, maybe not. Maybe because what do you <laughs> well, what do you do with the manure? It's from your horses. It's from my horses, and we did take the pile and put it back into the land, and you know, nurtured the soil that is now their their paddocks. And it is temporary, but I yearn to have that dedicated space back. So that's what this podcast has become, and then now it will, you know, shoot off in new directions, but. I'm so happy to have you here with us. This has been so lovely. I am definitely going to be taking your course. Just wanted to let Mm -hmm. you know. Oh, good. We're starting again, probably in February next year. I'm going to do the self-paced one, probably in September. I'm having a summer of alchemy where I'm not committing to. I'm just going to live on my land and experience 
things and play around with the energy in my home through your book and your podcast. Good. We don't have the self-paced one anymore though, by the way. That's okay. (gasps) That's okay. (laughs) But we're redoing everything. So is it coming back? No, but it'll just be, it'll just be, it's, it's just the first part of the live program anyway, because we just took the first part of the live program and had, had it pre-recorded. It's actually an orally transmitted tradition because we teach live the whole thing every time. So we just didn't, we're not going to do it again. Sorry, but we're going to start, we're starting it again in February, or you can join this one and just watch it all in September. Oh, poor Alexis. I wish people could see her face right now. (laughs) Mind blown. Disappointment everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Someone else said that too. And he's, he emailed us and he's like, wait, it was, what happened to that? And we're like, oh, it's gone. And he, but he just enrolled in the course. So. It's not too late to join because okay. all that, the self-paced stuff is just the level one, which is up and it's, it's already already, but I know you don't want to do anything in the summer. So that's important. I want to get to some of our end of episode questions. Lauren, you want to start? Hold on. My husband just came in to get his socks. Okay. <laughs> Slowly paced. We'll be cleaning under the bed later. <laughs> He's going to be like, I don't like that lady. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast has put a real kink in my lifestyle. (laughs) All these changes. Oh, he's fine. Okay. What are you listening to, watching, or researching right now? So it's not very exciting, but I've just been diving back into a bunch of teachings from my one of my mentors, Catherine Metz. So I'm researching, listening, and reading through all of our material right now. So I've been doing my feng shui homework lately for some of these these deeper teachings that she offered. For your third book? For something else, but I can't talk about it right now. Oh, It's a secret, but you'll know, you'll know in a few months. That's exciting. Something to look forward to. Do you have a personal mantra or a so? From the research and the studies that I was doing, I really love this quote that Catherine said. And it's a quote from Professor Linyan who brought BTB Feng Shui to the West. So I'm just going to say, she said, let yourself be inspired by the, by the design details. Intuition is not inspiration. We all have intuition, but it can be on and off. It's your spiritual cultivation that allows your intuition to become an inspiration. So just that idea that sometimes people are like, oh, I have such great intuition, but there's an invitation here to actually stop and say, okay, we can all have intuition, but are you cultivating yourself? And really that's what will bring inspiration into your life and allow you to inspire others. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Love that. What are you no longer available for? I am no longer available for creating so much work for myself that I am stressed out and overwhelmed. So, so one thing I've done is I've talked to one of my healers about, she told me, you know, you no longer be available for anything that makes you feel small mm. and let go of, oh, I love yeah, that. let go of what doesn't help, what is not allowing you to expand. And that keeps you feeling small. And that could be people, it could be in your personal life and it could be in work in your professional life as well. Love that. Mm-hmm. What was your latest luxury for your soul? Well, we talked about it. It was those silk pajamas, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is huge. Like, I think that you should have like the 
nicest things around you while you're sleeping because when your pajamas like touch your skin and your skin is your largest organ and buying the most high vibrational, most intentionally created, most non-toxic materials that you can from companies and people that are doing good things in the world really Mm -hmm. create a great effect and not only nourish you and your soul, but support you to rest, support you to do more good in the world. So surrounding yourself with the highest quality that you can afford when you sleep, like those silk pajamas are really important. I really want a pair now. (laughs) You want to ask, what does it mean to you to have a well-lived life? Okay. What does it mean to me to have a well-lived life? I think that for me to have a well-lived life, I am continually offering myself opportunities that allow me to see the world, to see the beauty in each moment, and to feel that connection with our environment, and to feel more and more vulnerable and more and more connected to this planet and our world. It's a great answer. I really enjoyed connecting with you today. I was so excited for this conversation. Me too. Thank you so much for joining us. And seriously, this book is amazing. I'm so excited. Okay. And lastly, I want to get it in your words. Where can people you? So people can find me by visiting my feng shui school at mindfuldesignschool.com. That's the best way to, to find me online. You can also listen to our podcast, the Holistic Spaces podcast on your favorite podcast app. And then you can also buy the book, Mindful Homes, wherever books are sold. Thank you for tuning in today for our conversation with Angie Cho. The links to Mindful Homes, Mindful Feng Shui Design School and Holistic Spaces podcast can be found in our show notes. And remember, there are several ways to connect with us outside of the podcast. If you are searching for a personal power object, a good luck charm, or a talisman to shield yourself, I've got you covered. If you have a small business or incubating an idea, you can work with Lauren one-on-one for her new consulting service. When it comes to design, branding, marketing, and consistency, we all have our blind spots. Yet sometimes we want someone to listen to our ideas and share valuable insights. Contact Lauren if you would benefit from a fresh set of eyes or a brainstorming partner. Don't forget to join us in our new Facebook community for behind-the-scenes conversations, sneak peeks to upcoming episodes, and more. If you love these conversations and want to show your support, take a screenshot of your favorite episode to share on social media. Leave us a five-star review and hit that subscribe button for all the luxuries for your soul.